What's up? Somebody wake me. Yo, what's up, man? Is this thing on? <laughs> Jay Soderbergh. That's me. John Luckenbaugh. That's him. Two podcasting veterans. One from the production space. And one from the outer space. And we're, we're, we're Q&A. Weekly news and tips in podcasting. On podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chewed Up Podcast on Podcasting. My name is Jay Soderberg, a.k.a. Pod Vader. He's John Luckenbaugh, the founder and co-host of the Cued Up Podcast. Hello, John. Jay, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing just fine. As you may or may not know, we talk about the business in tech of podcasting on a weekly basis. So be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Uh, you can always reach us on the social medias. I am at the real pod Vader on Twitter, nextfanup at gmail.com if you prefer an email, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me via Pod Vader. John, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, you can reach us at through the website, which is queuedup.com, qd up.com, through email info at queuedup.com, or on any of our social channels. As you can tell by the title of this particular episode, we are talking about Apple and some of the things that they are doing, which may or may not have an impact on you. We'll talk about that in just a second. But before we get into some of those things, I want to go back and revisit our conversation with Daniel J. Lewis uh, and his announcement of podcastindustryinsights.com, which we talked about the 2020 numbers. Uh, from Apple, and not so much about our conversation, because if you want to hear that, you can obviously go back into the archives and check that out. But more so, John, about your process of editing that particular show, because um, we're going to pull back the curtain and, and give you sort of a glimpse as to the production of that particular episode. Hmm. It was uh, kind of editing intensive. After the recording, we found out that one of the recordings was actually recorded the whole entire podcast rather than a separate channel. So having to go through and edit between a Zoom recording and a backup recording, yeah, it was tend to be a little bit time consuming, but blending the two tracks together, I think it came out pretty good. Yeah, we should reveal, you know, when we first started the podcast, we decided we were going to use multiple different platforms to test out the recording uh, that was available. And ultimately we landed on nothing is going to beat us just doing a double ender. So we use zoom so that we can see each other and get our visual cues, even though I don't have my zoom <laughs> window open right now. So we can get our visual cues from zoom, but ultimately the recording we're using is, uh, whatever we're recording on our own end. Uh, and then John will do the editing via the separate channels that way. Last week, we had an issue with one of those recordings. So John had to use the Zoom recording, which he's basically using the Zoom recording as a backup, not as the primary right? to make it all work. And there were issues on the Zoom recording too, where I, I believe it was my microphone was not recording on Zoom, but was recording on my local, right? which made all sorts of things. John yeah. lost a lot of hair last week. Uh, I don't have any hair to begin with, Jay, but no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's a shame. Uh, he lost even more of the no hair. Lost even more. Yep. <laughs> but it sounded great. So yeah. good job, John. Thanks. That's what you get from queued up. I mean, you get excellent production. That's what we're here for. We pay attention to that detail. Exactly. 
All right, so let's jump into some of the business topics that we have this week. I have a couple of stories that I wanted to touch on. We'll start with Apple. I mean, why not? Apple is the largest listening platform for podcasts at the current time, uh, and they appear to be making moves. The question is, are they moves that are going to have a direct impact on you? I think one of them maybe, and the other also maybe, but probably not. Uh, so let's let's jump into it. Uh, the first one that I think is a maybe is Apple has announced that they are releasing the Apple Podcast Spotlight, which is going to highlight independent creators that have interesting content in their podcast. And the first episode that they've decided to focus on is one by Chelsea Devantes, uh, who is hosting a podcast called Celebrity Book Club. Let's pause right there. The first podcast to highlight independent podcasters is about a podcast that features celebrity books. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> that is a hmm. That is a big time hmm. I, I get what they're trying to do, and I, I'm appreciative of what they're trying to do, yeah. but will I actually be able to have my podcast featured in a similar manner? The answer is probably not. I think there'll be a number of us that will. How big is your megaphone, Jay? Right? Mm. <laughs> my, my megaphone is puny. I, I took this particular quote out of the article that was on TechCrunch because I thought this was interesting to highlight. Though podcasts are growing in popularity, the monthly podcast listener base is just 37% in the U.S., according to Edison Research. That means it's nowhere near being an activity that's popular among a majority of the U.S. population at this time. Before Apple can effectively monetize podcasts as a subscription service, it needs to help get more people listening to podcasts on a regular basis. Subscription service? Why am I bringing that up right now? Well, we'll get to that in just a second. But I did want to highlight the fact that even TechCrunch is noting that the podcast listener base right now is only 37% of the US. That that is and that's monthly podcast listeners. That's not weekly, that's not super users. As we keep going into those numbers, that 37% gets lower and lower. So, understand that radio listening is like 80%, almost 90% of the US population on a monthly basis. There's a long way to go for the podcast universe to get to a point that can even rival the megaphone since you brought it up <laughs> that uh that that radio currently has subscription service hmm that's curious is apple launching a subscription service well according to multiple reports out there apple has been reaching out to podcasters obviously larger podcasters about starting a subscription service on apple podcasts Let's see what that really means. The report was first found in the information, and multiple news outlets have since followed up on this, including The Hollywood Reporter. But really, when you look at sort of this push into subscriptions, let's look at some of the news that's that's been let's look at some of the others that have tried this out. Luminary has reportedly fewer than 100,000 subscribers. So, yes, Apple is obviously much larger than Luminary, and Apple obviously has other things you can subscribe to. Well, what about Spotify? 
right? Spotify has a subscription service, right, John? Right. Well, there wasn't there, I believe there's recently been a report from an investment group with Spotify that has noted that podcasting hasn't had a direct effect on the number of premium subscribers to Spotify. At least not one that makes Spotify a viable investment, according to Citibank. That's very telling. If Apple were to decide to get into the subscription business, who would be allowed to be part of this? Would my show be allowed to be part of the subscription service? You know, I would love to charge 99 cents an episode, and then you don't have any ads on that particular episode. Could I offer a subscription service and an ad service at the same time? So people who don't want to hear the ads on my podcast could hear the no, the, the ad free service also on Apple. Well, if that's the case, why don't I just use one of these other services like Patreon or mm-hmm. Supercast or Memberful to create that right now? To me, I don't think this is a real moneymaker for Apple. I've read that a lot of people are saying that this is Apple's response to Spotify's growing position in podcasting. I don't think that necessarily is a differentiator between the two. If Apple decides to offer subscriptions versus Spotify subscriptions, you know, could they do some things that are cool? Could they offer, you know, one of the things I read was, could they offer a subscription service based on seasons, right? So I do an NFL podcast. There's a very clear season that I follow, even though my podcast is year round. Could I offer sort of an annual subscription to my podcast to make it enticing? Would you pay me $2 for that? If 100% of my audience paid me $2 to listen to my podcast, I would be very happy. But will 100% of my audience do it? No. Will 10% of my audience do it? That's usually the rule of thumb. If only 10% of my audience decides to sign up for my subscription, that doesn't do, that doesn't do me much good. Quite honestly, I'm making more with the ads than I would with 10% of my audience becoming a subscriber. By the way, that's me assuming I'm going to get 100% of the subscription, which I'm not. Apple's obviously going to take a piece of that. I mean, for a larger podcast, maybe it works out well. But again, I'm not a larger podcast. And a majority of you out there are also not a larger podcast. So will an Apple subscription do you better than what's already available to you via Patreon, Supercast, or Memberful? My guess is probably not. Because you can get your subscription feeds from, I know specifically from Supercast, I assume also from Patreon and Memberful, you can get those subscription feeds so that you can listen to it on the Apple app. Right. So I don't know. John, what do you think? I agree. I think it's primarily, like you said, just a response to Spotify doing the paid subscription part. I don't see a huge benefit, at least on podcasters of our scale. Maybe it's a way to lure Joe Rogan over to Apple, I guess. But, but Joe Rogan's <laughs> got a contract. He does have a contract. However many years that contract is to be exclusive on Spotify. And before he was exclusive on Spotify, he was already everywhere. Yeah, to me, even if it is a response to Spotify, it doesn't seem to make any sense to me. It doesn't sound like a reasonable response. To me, and I've said this a number of times, 
If Apple really wants to make money off of podcasting, they can turn on that money tree right away. I've, I've highlighted the money tree on the always listening podcast, the other podcast on podcasting I did previous to this and highlighted how much money Apple could be making immediately if they were to offer a dynamic ad subscription service to podcasters. Apple would make millions, maybe billions of dollars right off the bat. And as I've been told, the amount of money that Apple would make would not even compare to the amount of money Apple makes already on a year. It'd be like a drop in the bucket to them. It's weird to say multi-millions of dollars is not enough (laughs) for a particular company to make it quote unquote worth their while. It's just weird to say that, but apparently that's the case. I don't understand. Now, I read Nick Quaz in his newsletter, his thoughts on Apple offering a subscription. He did ask the question, well, is this something that will be offered? And then they close down the open podcasting ecosphere, right? So the only way you can listen to podcasts on Apple would be through a subscription. Well, that would be a terrible decision, right? Here's the thing, though. Because podcasting is available in so many different places, would that really crush listening? I mean, yes, initially, it would have a huge impact. However, I feel that the audience would ultimately discover those podcasts other in other places and uh, right. other ways to listen. So I think... Yes, initially it would crush the industry. We would all be sitting there going, oh, what am I going to do now? But ultimately, if your audience really loves podcasting, which I would assume they do because they're listening to you on a regular basis, they're going to find you wherever you're available. And I would point to those podcasters that have been deplatformed, such as Alex Jones. Right. You can say whatever we want about Alex Jones. He's still maintained his audience and he's no longer allowed on Apple. Yep. That audience found him somewhere. Or is it a way to let the smaller podcasters monetize their their podcast, sort of like uh, what they do with musicians? Right. Is, Is that. Well, again, if that's the only way that I can listen to the show, sure. I mean, people still find music for free if if they can. But I would still recommend to all podcasters that you want to be everywhere. Yes, Apple yeah. is number one. You have to be on Apple. But if Apple were to close their doors and say the only way you can listen to podcasts is via subscription, if you get a piece of that subscription money, great. If you don't get any piece of the subscription money, that would be awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my guess is that's not going to happen. No, you can't do that with royalties, right? I, yeah, my guess would that would not happen. We'll see. I mean, it, it's definitely something to watch. It's defi- definitely something interesting to note. And it's definitely Apple doing something. The problem is Apple is so close. They play things so close to the vest that you're left with people like us that are just sort of going, well, what does this mean? And then they offer their opinion as to what it means. And it's just an opinion. It's not the actual fact of what Apple is thinking and doing. I have one more business item before you teach me a lesson, John. Podcast Movement University has been relaunched. However, this time it comes with a price tag. Uh, The cost is $180 annually. 
or you can pay $17.99 a month if you prefer to pay monthly. But as you can see, there's a clear discount if you just buy a yearly membership. By the way, the Podcast Academy is $100 annually, and the two services basically offer the same, and I'm going to say it, quote-unquote, benefits as each other does. Now, Podcast Movement University says these are the benefits that you get with your $180 membership fee. Uh, Weekly live community events featuring expert Q&As, AMAs with successful podcasters, networking and meetups, feedback panels, interactive games, and more. Monthly live training sessions from podcasting professionals. Quarterly full-day virtual events that will cost $100 each for any non-Podcast Movement University member. Access to hours of sessions from previous Podcast Movement events, including events never published anywhere else. Small group mastermind opportunities. Oh, God. (laughs) Membership exclusive discounts on partner products and services. Help wanted jobs board, as well as a services offered board to help you find work or offer your assistance when you're ready. And a thriving community of fellow podcasters. Like I said, very similar to what the Podcast Academy offers, although the Podcast Academy also has their podcast awards and you get a discount on the submission to the Podcast Academy Awards. Me, as a podcasting professional, podcasting expert that's been involved in the space for over 15 years, I love that these opportunities are available. However, I do not see the value in joining a membership like this that I can't already get just by following the many Facebook groups for podcasting that are there. You can get a lot of these same things, a lot of the same benefits for free. To me, what joining a group like this does is put you in a more structured type of networking opportunity. So like I mentioned, the monthly live training sessions, you can see that there are monthly live training sessions all over the place from many different people. This would be obviously more scheduled, more regulated. You can obviously trust the people that are being presented because you trust the leadership of the podcast movement organization. So you can see that there's value there. So you're not necessarily, if you're a new podcaster or someone that's looking for information about podcasting, you can find a trusted source by joining this particular group instead of trying to weed through, well, who's trusted, who's not trusted. Should I trust this guy named Podvader? He's got a silly name. Should I not trust this guy, Podvader? He's got a silly name, that sort of thing. I would hope Pod Vader would be involved in some of that podcast movement university stuff, but that's a conversation for another day. I think there is some value there, but ultimately you can, if you don't have that amount of money, you can find a lot of that same value just by going on social media, specifically the Facebook groups. There is a lot of weeding. Todd Cochran on the new media show was complaining how the same question gets asked five times, six times a day. Uh, in that group. And it's every day, sort of. And it's always the same questions. And there's always the same answers. So it does seem to be a little redundant in that fact. But again, you're saving yourself 180 bucks by just being a part of that group versus joining something like the Podcast Movement University. What do you think, John? Is there value in it for you? Well, at first, I was thinking it would be valuable for the networking opportunity. But I think you can still network on through the social channels. Maybe once this whole pandemic COVID thing 
comes to a close and we can actually get into the actual events and being there in person, I think that's where maybe the benefit could be. I will say it's very difficult to network digitally. It's a lot easier to just, you know, bump elbows in a hallway during a conference. That's just something that happens naturally that doesn't happen organically digitally. Yeah. And even if it does, it's sort of like one of those, who the heck is this guy who's DMing me right now? I have no idea who the heck this person is. Why am, why am I going to talk to this person? It turns out that's not the same case. You know, when you go to a conference, that's not the same sort of experience. You bump into someone, you have no idea who they are. And they say, hey, I'm so-and-so. I do this. Do, 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 I follow you. Do, 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 do. And sure, they can write all that in a post, but it's just different when you meet the person face-to-face. Yeah, You're not as turned off when you when that happens naturally in person as you would be sort of out of the blue. Somebody slipped into your DMs. Yeah, I agree. It's just kind of hard right now to do that with the whole um, everything needing to be virtual. That said, my DMs are open. Yeah, you can slip into my DMs whenever you want <laughs> and ask me any sort of podcast questions. I am a happily married man. Don't slip into my <laughs> DMs the other way. Slipping into the DMs is meant. Uh, all right. I believe it's time for me to learn a lesson, John. It's been a while since we had one of these. I'd like to go back to previous discussion that we had on past episodes with uh, audio quality. Let's get into the technicalities of audio file settings and how that impacts the perceived quality by the listeners. In particular, I'm talking about bit depth, sample rate, and bit rate. You've already lost me, John. Bit depth, sample rate, bit rate. What in the world are you talking about? So bit depth, this is different from bit rate. Bitrate is the amount of bits per second that an MP3 outputs. Bit depth is used to determine the range of measurements. So taking it a step back, microphones convert the loudness of our voice into a voltage. To record that audio into your computer, that voltage is then converted into another number representing that voltage. The bit depth of our audio is basically how accurately the computer records the loudness of audio coming in. The higher the bit depth, the closer our recording device can match that volume. Okay, so the bit depth is related specifically to the volume of my voice. Yes, yes. Okay. For example, a 16-bit audio has a range of 2 to the power of 16, or 65,536 values. So when you're recording at 16-bit audio, your volume level can be categorized by 65,000 plus values, where a 24-bit depth has 2 to the power of 24 or 16,777,216 possible values. So 24-bit depth is better than 16. Sometimes. Hmm. So yes, 24, what this does when you record 24-bit is that less noise is added when the recording device rounds off the number in order to record it. So being able to record 24, you can get a more accurate volume level than at 16-bit. And obviously much more than 8. Right. When you go to 24-bit, it has less rounding of the, of the numbers to, to fill the space with noise. Say you're catering a Super Bowl party, right? And you have 16 guests coming over and you call the first catering company and they offer 
packages of five, 50, and 100. If you only have 16, what are you going to go with? You're not going to go with five because then you're going to leave over half your guests with no food. You're going to go with 50. Yes, you're going to be left with leftovers, but you'd have to round it up and then you'd have all that noise being added into it. Now you call a different catering and they offer you more specific. Yes, I, I have 24 people. Yes, I can cater to all 24 people. You know, I can give you 24 meals. That's fine. Everything is great. But then you can go even higher than that. There's 32 and 64 bit, which is like having the catering company say, okay, I'm going to specifically order each one of your meals. How do you like your steak done? Rare, medium well, well. I can do that for all 32 of your guests, all 64 of your guests, specific order. So it's, I guess that's a good way of, of putting it. <laughs> that's a great way. I, I like that way of putting it. That's very well. And by the way, I, I don't like mine very well. I like it. Uh, I, I like it medium rare. All right. I think I've got the volume thing. So 24 is sometimes better than 16. What is recommended? I would recommend 16. 24 is a good bit depth for recording in professional studios. 16 would be good for, for most people, for most podcasters. I guess the main advantage of increasing bit depth is it allows for a lower noise floor. So while 24-bit recordings can sound cleaner in a controlled environments like recording studios, it's not really going to make a difference for podcasts recorded in an untreated room, if that makes sense. Sure. So what is, so what is the sample rate? So sample rate is what defines the length of each sample. So the most common one, the one that I would recommend is 44,100 hertz or 44.1 kilohertz. It produces 44,100 samples of audio every second. So higher sample rates also allow recordings to pick up higher frequencies. Do you know what frequencies the human ear can hear? Uh, I used to. <laughs> the human ear can hear frequencies up to 20,000 hertz. Anything above that is wasted. However, our recording frequency needs to be at least twice as much as what we're trying to record to reproduce it accurately. So really rendering at 44,100 hertz captures everything the human ear does. So for most music applications, 44.1 kilohertz is a recommended sample rate to use. 48 kilohertz is common with audio for video. There are some disadvantages to higher sample rates, such as when sample rates double, so do the file sizes on your drive. And higher sample rates require more processing power from your computer. So when you go into your DAW and you load it up on plugins, you're going to crash your computer. It's going to have latency issues, buffering issues. So higher sample rates should really only be considered in professional applications. One other thing that you really need to be careful of is for when you're doing a podcast recording, are you receiving files from multiple sources, guests or hosts that are in different sample rates? Have you ever had that issue, Jay? Uh, uh, yes. So what happens when you have a session that is in 44.1 and you bring in a 48 kilohertz file? What happens? Well, depending on what I'm using, it doesn't like that. doesn't like that at all. I have to convert right. and usually down convert the, the 48 because it would, it's the only file. And versus mm -hmm. up convert the 44, right? Because all my other files are 44. But yeah, it's a pain. It is. It is. So when you bring the file in, you bring a 48 kilohertz file 
in to a 44.1, it plays it at the wrong speed. We recently had this for an audiobook that we were doing where the first chapter was fine. The second chapter was a completely different voice. And we were like, okay, well, maybe this person has two different people reading the book. Well, chapter three, four, five, six, seven, and so on, they're all in the same voice that the first chapter was in. So we're like, well, this is kind of weird. Why is chapter two, why is it completely different? And then we were sitting there thinking about it. I was like, oh, you know what? Looked, sample rate was completely different than from all the other chapters in the book. So once we resampled it, it was the same. It, was, it sounded great then, but that's just something to, something to keep in mind. This is not a commercial. <laughs> However, it's going to sound like one. If you have Hindenburg as your digital audio, mm. you can place multiple different types of yes. files with multiple different types of sample rates, and it converts it super easy. My yes. goodness. It is quite possibly the biggest selling point behind Hindenburg. Good job, Hindenburg developers, on that particular aspect of your product. That's a great point, Jeff. All right. So sample rate, you said the most important thing, I think, earlier. You don't need anything higher than 44.1. No. 48 is what is usually used in video, but you don't need anything higher than 44.1. Uh, and anything less than 44.1, usually it's like 32, I think, is the next one down from that. And you have, and you just mentioned you want it to be double what the human ear can hear, and the human ear hears 20. So you need something at least 40. Right. Some of the recording apps, some of the Remote recording apps like Zoom, they record at 32,000 hertz. Mm -hmm. So you're losing some of what is actually, you're not getting a, you're not getting the most natural recording. Correct. That's Correct. probably a better way to put it. Yeah. All right. So what is the bit rate? Okay. So this is the measure of the rate at which you're, you can transfer bits. The common unit for audio is kilobits per second. So that means it measures how many thousands of bits are sent from one place to another every second. And when related to audio, it's how much of the detail or complexity of that audio can be stored. Higher bit rates store more data, which lead to higher file sizes. Some examples, like Apple, delivers at 256 kilobits per second, or kbps. When you record to MP3 format, the default tends to be between 128 kilobytes per second to 192 kilobytes per second. Uh, the majority of people really can't tell the difference unless you're an audiophile, but... I, you audiophiles really get me. It's, <laughs> it, it's like, yeah, I hear what you guys say, and you're like, oh, it, it has to be supernatural. It, 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 we must get the highest bit rates, the highest sample rates, the highest of everything, when in fact you really don't. No, the highest no. of everything. I mean, coming from the age of tape, and I still DJ with vinyl. You know, I like the room warmth in there. But if you're doing a podcast with just dialogue, even 96 could be acceptable. It's when you start to add in the mu your music that you really want 128 or 192. Like if you're doing a if you're scoring a, a narrative podcast then I would opt for the higher bit depth. All right. Well, this has been very insightful. So ultimately, when you're recording and mixing and producing, you're looking at a bit depth of? 
16. A sample rate of? 44.1 kilohertz. And a bit rate of? 128 to 192 kilobytes per second. Excellent. All right. I hope you are all taking notes on that because there will be a quiz. No, there won't. There won't. Because I would, I would probably fail the quiz. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of numbers. <laughs> there was a lot of numbers in there. Uh, ultimately, though, you don't need to go much higher than what John is saying, unless you're an audiophile and you really want pristine audio. You really don't want to go much lower than that, though, if you have anything other than voice, because you are going to definitely lose some audio quality in the recording that you're doing. The one thing, Jay, is if you do go higher. Also, be mindful that when you go higher, your file size is double <laughs> or more. So if you're dealing with the a hosting site where you have a, a limit on how many episodes or how much space you have, it can be taken up in one episode if you get super high quality, if that makes sense. It does. John, next week, I suggest we talk about the difference between MP3s mp4as and waves <laughs> okay what do you say all right because i've right. got question we can do that awesome sure. sounds good the apple numbers from podcastindustryinsights.com again thanks to daniel j lewis for this wonderful service i don't want to go too far into these numbers here john because we literally just did an entire episode with daniel j lewis yeah just last week but as we look at sort of what has happened in the last week in regards to the number of additions to Apple Podcasts. Once again, there was sort of a giant spike on January 5th, which we talked about with Daniel. And then things looked like they leveled off a little bit in the middle of the month. But there on January 19th is that giant spike once again of over 12,000 new podcasts added to wow. Apple Podcasts. Yeah. It's crazy. It's uh, it's it's a crazy time. And again, uh, Daniel sort of noted this, but not as many podcasts being removed here on a weekly basis. Just about, uh, I would say on average, oh, right around that 200 mark or so, 200 podcasts a day being removed right now. It's not a lot. So there you go. That That's a quick look at the <laughs> Apple podcast statistics. Again, you can get even more in-depth by uh, becoming a member at the podcast industry insights.com. Uh, that is Daniel J. Lewis's new service. And we thank him uh, for doing such yeoman's work. John, if people have more questions, especially about samples and bit depth and bit rates, how do they get in touch with you? You can reach out through the website, which is queuedup.com, that's qd-up.com, or through email, which is info at queuedup.com, or any of our social media channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with me about stuff that has nothing to do with the technical aspects of podcasting, because I have no clue, you can reach <laughs> me at the Real Pod Vader on Twitter. My DMs are open, as I mentioned before. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, where I am also Podvader. Very easy to find. If you prefer email, nextfanup at gmail.com is the best way to get in touch with me. And that's the email address for my football podcast that I do. But again, like I said, the best way to get in touch with me. Excellent. 
Well, John, I look forward to learning all about waves and MP3s and M4As next week on the Queued Up podcast on podcasting. Until then, there you have it.